0: Welcome to the Excellent ExoChat with Bill and Nora. Our podcast is meant to educate, inform, and discuss the ever-expanding topic of exotechnologies.
1: If you are interested in exoskeletons, robots, or automated systems, you should listen to us. We will be discussing how these technologies impact you through chats with experts and users from around the world.
0: So, Nora, what's going on? I hear we've got a guest today. What's happening?
1: We do our first official guest bill. I'm excited about this, are you?
0: I'm pretty excited, you know, because I've, you know, we've been doing pretty good, but you know, I get tired of hearing us, you know, chat about stuff. So, I think we need a new mix in here. So, who do we I have? I have
1: to agree. I was getting tired of your voice, Bill, not I, gonna lie. I <laughs> so know. It's today, it's rough.
0: It's rough, right?
1: <laughs> it is. So, today, joining us on the podcast is Don Peterson. Welcome, Don.
0: Thank you for having me. Don, Hi, um, Don, who are you? Where, where do you work? You, do <laughs> I, no, I've known Don for a long time, and, and I understand he does he has some job at Northern Illinois University or something. What do you do there? Do you like a teacher or something?
2: I'm a dean of the College of Engineering and Engineering Technology. Wow. I do get involved in teaching. I still have a active research program and so forth. So, uh,
0: yeah, I've seen yeah. you in uh, pictures in an exoskeleton in a lab before. You still doing that? <laughs>
2: Still doing that, yes, still quite active uh, within the EXO uh, research, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and uh, what I, I hear you also do a little bit stuff with ASTM. What do you do for ASTM?
2: Yeah, so I'm currently serving as the chair uh, in my last term as the chair of, of, of committee F48 on exoskeletons and exosuits. Phenomenal group. Uh, for those listening who are not involved in uh, ASTM uh, or even would like to get more involved in ASTM, please do. Great colleagues, a lot of fun, uh, great work uh, with a great outcome.
0: Yeah, it, it, I've been, you know, a pleasure to be involved with Don and a number of others in this. And, and I fully agree with what Don said. It's a great group of people to work with and everything. And exoskeletons and exotechnologies is just a really exciting, rewarding area. And I think Nora was telling me earlier before we got on about, you know, we want to talk about how do we get more people involved with this, and and how do you how do you get a is there a degree in this? What how do you start? You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was very curious about this, Don. Uh, you know, kids are well, I say kids, eighteen year old young adults are looking at what colleges to attend and what they could potentially major in. And is exoskeletons an actual major? I'm assuming no. <laughs>
2: No, not really. Um, There's no uh, specific, at least I'm aware of a specific degree that you can get that says, you know, I have this uh, bachelor of science in exoskeleton or exoskeleton technologies or so forth. But usually uh, these types of specialized technologies exist in, in, uh, for example, existing technology or engineering degree programs uh, as an emphasis. You know, you may see exoskeleton technologies outside of uh, or or, excuse me, inside of a uh, mechanical engineering program, for example. For somebody who uh, is focused on that research and may offer some electives uh, on the particular technologies. You may find it in biomedical engineering where you have an individual uh, maybe having uh, more research focused uh, with exoskeletons focused on medical applications, rehab and so forth. So uh, it's there. It's out there. I think awareness is, is how to get people involved at 18 years old as to where to go and who to be taught by and mentored and so forth and what the opportunities are at those particular campuses for the, the work that's going on. This is where um, understanding uh, a researcher, right, uh, or a developer an engineer might be developing uh, and researching uh, exoskeletons and exoskeleton, uh, exoskeleton technology, smart technologies, embedded technologies, every different types of aspects.
0: So, so Don, so what do you get your degrees in? Since there's like, it doesn't sound like there's an exoskeleton thing. What what did you do? <laughs>
1: I didn't do anything. He accepted a call.
0: <laughs> That's funny. <There> <laughs> That's
1: really funny. Okay, so he's he's coming back I, in.
0: Where
2: did I call, Where did I get
0: cut off? <laughs> we. I was just asking you what you get your degree in.
1: Okay, so oh. hold on. We're gonna we'll do one, two, three, and then Bill asks the question so that they can. Okay, go.
0: So Don, what did you get your degree in? Well, I got my degree in. Well, which one? <laughs> that, that's right. So you got
2: yeah, exactly. than one, right? So what? What? What were they?
1: Yeah. What was the path?
2: The uh, so the uh, my doctorate's in biomedical engineering. I have a master's in mechanical, and then I have two uh, undergrad degrees: one in aerospace aeronautical engineering, and the other in biomechanical engineering. Oh, wow, awesome! Wow! So
1: you really had a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> um, a lot of grass growing <laughs> under your feet sounds like Don. <laughs>
2: There was a lot so, of sitting around, you know, I was looking for something to do. Yeah. So
1: at what point was Exo, you know, Exo Technologies brought up in your areas of study? Where did you really start first seeing that?
2: Um, actually, very early on in my undergraduate education, um, it was more around the space program and what okay. was going on for uh, spacesuit development design, integration with uh, various robotics, uh, some very forward thinking people about how um, spacesuits can be better, uh, and so forth. So I I was really introduced to the exoskeleton, exosuit area there, uh, but then got involved in research under a NASA grant um, as a junior faculty looking at um, uh, essentially exoskeletons for hemiplegics, or stroke patients. Wow. And had a small small grant to uh, go down the path of developing a very low-cost system uh, that would focus on larger joint structures like elbows, uh, knees, things like that, um, not whole body or whole upper body or lower body. Uh, NASA was funding it because uh, even though the application of the technology was for stroke patients, they would be interested in this technology to be used in the International Space Station for resistance training because it was uh, much smaller, more contained, and even programmable from um, uh, Earth-based systems uh, up to the space station in terms of, of the rehab or the training or the resistance training and so forth so it was, it was cool and that was really my kind of my formal entry mm. into the exoskeleton world uh and very really cool. have since been involved since yeah
0: yeah that Hi. sounds that sounds really cool i mean I, i'm just kind of thinking from what you're saying it's like i had had very similar types of experiences like and i'm wondering it's like is like engineering like mechanical aerospace electrical engineering uh you know, biomedical engineering now, there's also human factors engineering. Is that like the natural entry point into uh, exoskeletons?
2: Any of them. Okay. Absolutely any of them are the entry points. I, I don't know if there's a natural one at this point. I think there's a natural one given, on the, given the institution that you want to go study at that has a particular uh, a professor uh, or research program uh, or laboratories that are doing it. Then that natural entry point would be whatever program those uh, faculty are under doing the work. If you know what I'm saying, but yeah, so I, I, really, it's a cross integration of a lot of disciplines that go into the development of uh, and safe implementation of these uh, these technologies.
0: And, and what about like the other uh, sciences, like uh, physics and biology, and even chemistry? Do you, do you see a place for those in this? Oh, absolutely.
2: Yes, uh, physics uh, has a strong overlap with engineering. So, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Biology uh, comes in, you know, in terms of the uh, understanding of the uh, physiological and anatomical, for example, implications of exoskeletons, um, metabolic, things like that, uh, that fall under that. Uh, Chemistry may come in if they're uh, powered, right? Battery powered or new materials that are being used to uh, not just power these things, but build them and sustain them, clean them, all that stuff. So... I think all this, uh, you know, exoskeletons really do represent a, a multidisciplinary effort.
1: I'm really happy to hear that they are overarching with that topic in whatever engineering degree path that you go. But it's so broad being able to know that it's out there and something that you can go for as you're getting more involved in the engineering field is really, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Um, you know, going to college myself, I remember jumping into my 101 courses and there were certain topics that just weren't covered or I had no idea even existed until I was a sophomore or junior. And I just remember looking back saying, I wish I had known that, you know, a couple years prior when I first came in that that was even an option. So I I am happy to hear that they are starting to do that and be more broad uh, with those courses.
2: And awareness can happen earlier than college.
1: Right. So, yeah. You know, you
2: have uh, middle school and high school students who, uh, you know, see these movies with the fancy exoskeletons and so mm-hmm. forth, um, and think, "Hey, that's cool technology," but don't realize that this is actually going on. Uh, you know, development of these things are going on, and they can get involved and you know pursue that interest if they have a strong interest in it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. The STEM yeah. programs that you yeah. see now coming up.
2: That's right. Absolutely right. Yeah. So I think there's a big role for us to play uh, looking at engaging folks even before college uh, to get them interested in the development of this technology.
0: Yeah. Increasing the pool of people involved is always a great idea. And and STEM is, is one of the great ways to get involved with this because, you know, like we were talking about today, you know, a lot of times it's, it's these overlaps between different disciplines, whether it's chemistry and physics or engineering or biology or information technology. And that's sort of, you know, I, I think that's sort of how you get exoskeletons is you're combining different kind of disciplines. What, what do you think, John? Do you see that or is, it, or is there more to it than that?
2: I think a little bit of both. I think there's more to it than that. But I do see that, you know, there's a, a strong need to have exoskeleton, exosuit engineers that have a good foundational training yeah. that are able to communicate across disciplines. Um, and this goes true all the way to their implementation, not just the idea of what an exoskeleton may be and look like and, and how it performs, but um, you know, how it's manufactured, how it's cared for, how the, it is uh, impacting a person's life right. uh, positively, you know what I'm saying? Or even negatively and understand those, uh, you know, that goes into, again, the development of the technology. So I think
0: it's yeah, little-
1: the mechanics.
0: Yeah. yeah. So could you see like ever a, a degree program or, um, some sort of certificate or, or minor uh, for exoskeletons or something around that?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I can, I can see uh, a strong need for that, uh, especially as these assistive devices are going to become more of a normal uh, part of our lives. Uh, we're going to see them with a geriatric population uh, to be able mm-hmm. to help, um, you know, in just everyday mobility uh, that gives them a better quality of life. Uh, than maybe what, they're, what we currently have for technologies, all the way through those who have strong needs for rehab, obviously spinal cord injury, uh, injury but also in industry, uh, looking at uh, the supportive needs that these technologies could have to make a worker's um, life inside the factory, for example, or outside the factory, uh, you know, a, a lot more pleasant, a lot more pleasant. So I could see a, a stronger push towards uh, tracks in different uh, universities, or even a collection of universities coming together uh, to offer a, a a certificate program that an uh, individual might be able to, uh, you know, take a course or two or some kind of seminars. Or for example, uh, where we're kind of pooling our, our best and brightest brains and knowledge mm-hmm. uh, and knowledge sets so that uh, we are educating the future engineers for uh, and technicians and scientists um, and uh, you know those that would be those responsible for implementing the health and safety folks. Hmm. uh you know for the future so yeah bill i do think so
0: yeah that's that's a very good point you bring up because it's not all about just inventing new exoskeletons it's maintaining it's making sure they're applied in the right places all of those things fitting the person so there's a lot of parts to that so there's a lot of opportunities for for students to get involved in all different areas absolutely and, uh, you know, while we're on it, it's like, you know, one of the big things uh, that we talk about a lot is the, the fit of the exoskeleton. So <laughs> how, how do you bring that into, you know, uh, an engineering or academic program and, and help students kind of understand that?
2: Well, you yeah, know, some of my own past work and even current work on tools uh, and uh, the impact tools have uh, and tool design has on an individual that are using those tools. Uh, We classically still see that uh, most tools are designed for certain male uh, anthropometries and not for females, so there's a Mm -hmm. a problem with that. And I'm not talking tools, not just tools that you would see on a construction site or in a manufacturing environment. We're also talking about surgical instruments, whether Mm -hmm. they be in the dental office uh, or clinic or in the the ORs, uh, operating rooms in in various hospitals, still designed uh, for the most part for uh, targeting those that are, are male. And of male uh, 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 anthropometry you know size of hand and grip strength and things like that so i think um you know exos are going to follow and have been following i think to some extent that same path there uh, some designs are limited in terms of the person's uh size and stature that could use them effectively um and so i think this is something bill that's really has to play a key role in educating the future. Again, users, health and safety, engineers, and those that would be uh, on the development teams and the implementation teams of these technologies uh, to understand that we have to be sensitive. And they have to have uh, abilities for adjustment. We have to over right. those barriers of adjustability, right, and be able to make sure that these things fit, you know, no pun intended, like a glove, right?
0: Fit like right. a glove, Right. Right. Like yep. Shirt.
1: That fit accommodation has been a very hot topic. Uh, Bill and I actually, we were talking about it on a previous podcast, but we just spoke with a very intelligent um, and very well-known individual who uses XOs every day. She runs her own farm. And she was telling us how when she first put on an Exo, it was not built to be worn by a female. The fit was not right. Uh, you know, you take an exoskeleton that was designed for a six-foot male build, and you put it on a five-foot-two female. Um, it's it's definitely not going to fit like a glove, like you said, Don. Uh, We've also seen some posts on LinkedIn about individuals who are looking more closely at this at a university level and a research level. So I think we're starting, if not in the thicket of fit and accommodating the users.
0: Mm. Very much. I I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, and I'll date myself a little bit here. <laughs> Don's much younger than I am. He probably doesn't remember this, but I remember going through um, mechanical engineering classes, and you know, we were you know, we were told to to design a, a nut or a screw or something like that. and you'd go to the back of the book and you'd look up in these tables and all this kind of stuff, and you'd figure out how to do this thing. and and at no point in this was, you know, any kind of accommodation for, oh, a, a man or a woman or a large mm-hmm. person or a small person is going to be using a tool on this. That didn't even come up in the conversation. And so I, that's why I'm asking this this question. It's like, how do we bring that into our conversations? Because exoskeletons are all about wearing them. And so that's mm-hmm. got to be a part of how you think about it, in my opinion, anyway. What do you think, Don? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you look at those that
2: are designing those nuts and those screws. Um, they're not thinking about the users. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about keeping manufacturing, making the best nuts and screws, but keeping the manufacturing cost very low, uh, and doing that. Um, so uh, when you start working with uh, human beings and human systems, uh, you are have to worry about exposure and response. Yeah. Uh, you know, so what kind of exposures are the uh, the user uh, exposed to, and how are they going to respond? And then you're going to have your individual. Uh, responses, uh, and you're going to have population responses, depending on what type of studies. You're going to have people who are more gene- genetically inclined to have a particular response and those that, you know, would not. So, uh, it's, you know, it's a complicated, uh, which is why there's a lot of research out there going on in, in terms of, of exposure response. But, um, you know, it's complicated. So, you, ha- you have to really pay attention to this uh, it, it, when it starts involve- involving a human being uh, that's going to be using whether again if it's an exoskeleton an exosuit a tool or any type of instrument or anything that it, uh, a human being would interact with.
0: Very true, and it's you know what I've found, and maybe others have seen this too. is like you know exoskeletons is a great place where you know you can combine your your hardcore math and engineering and science with imagination, mm-hmm. and then. You bring in the other part of it is like, how do you help others? And, and I think that could be a very rewarding path for a lot of students and a lot of people out there. And, you know, what have you seen as far as like the different people that you've interacted with, Don, students and graduate students? What, what kind of qualities and characteristics do you typically see in that population?
2: Yeah. And, you know, there is one commonality and you, you did touch on it. Um, is the students that are coming into this space um, want to help people. You know, whether it's a medical exo, a military XO, a industry XO, um, they want to help people. And they see this as a way to make a person's life better, mm-hmm. you know, so that the, uh, you know, the, the labor they go through and whatever they do, this XO is going to assist and make that labor more be- uh, bearable and less impactful on them and their life and their body and all that. So we do see that. You know, I see a lot of similarities in uh, biomedical engineering programs with this. Um, just like you said, you know, you're know, you able to combine your math, your sciences uh, and your care of public, uh, which is what we see commonly in biomedical engineering programs. Uh, and we see a lot of diversity because it offers uh, ability for engineers to get involved in the medical aspects, uh, the public health, the, the healthcare aspects um, as opposed to just going into like a straight nursing program. They could be uh just as impactful um in their way by linking in those math and sciences so i see exos following a very similar uh pathway i think we'll see a very uh strong and diverse group of scientists engineers employee health and safety i mean the list goes on and on right um working with these technologies as we go forward we're just seeing the start of it.
0: wow that's that's great and you know, I'll, I'll ask you a, a kind of a hard question, which I I don't know if there's a good answer, but you probably have a better answer than I do. Which is, so there's a student out there that hears this podcast, or their parent hears this podcast, and and says, you know, you should talk to these people. Who who should they talk to? Where should they start? Well, I think it
2: certainly reach out to me if they'd like. I can I can point fingers at other people. I mean, I'm really keep doing that. <laughs> 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 But, um, no, I'd be willing to, to talk with people to see what their interests may be and, and hook them up or guide them in the right direction. Um, the other the other way to do it, too, is, you know, people are pretty savvy with the Internet, is to sit down and do some, uh, you know, Google searching on, uh, say, professors that are doing exoskeleton development and research. And there'll be tons of university links that will come up that they can explore and even reach out to those faculty directly and, you know, ask questions about the nature of the college and the program and would they be able to get into the lab and all that stuff um and then maybe even visit the college you know set up a time to go visit um that, that college and the university you know uh and explore further what their options are um in you know in there for if it's engineering if it's you know physics if it's uh, biology or um if it's um public health and, I, and yeah, i'd
1: have to add to that bill as well onto what Don said, not only reaching out to Don, because I love to point fingers as well, but I think ASTM International is a great place to start as well. With all of our technical committees, we all have staff that are designated to them. So of course, I'd be welcome to assist these individuals with any questions they may have, or just putting them in contact with our, our members within the committees. I mean, we have over... 30,000 technical committee members in ASTM, and they're all incredible. Um, And I know that for a fact, they would also be helpful in in pointing them in the right direction.
0: Right. And I'll I'll put a shameless plug in there. Certainly, uh, people are welcome to contact me and, and others in our Center of Excellence. But if you're a student, you know, the membership in ASTM is free. And that puts you on sort of the mailing list and in contact with all these members around the world. And I'll tell you, you know, Don sort of said this early on, but all the members in our F48 exoskeleton committee are very collegial. They're super easy to talk to. So that's another great resource I would put out there for people.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome! This was great. I, I, Don, do you have any uh, additional things you'd like to add? But this was really wonderful for me.
2: Yeah, same here. I'm really uh, quite honored to be the first guest in the podcast (laughs) series. Um, There's a challenge with that though, because I've
0: either set a really high bar for others or a really (laughs) low one.
1: That (laughs) bar is set pretty high, Don. Don't worry. Yeah, I think so. We,
0: you know. You know, you've, you've done well enough. I think we may invite you back a couple more times. So, you know, great job. You know, kudos to you and thank you so much. Really, uh, you know, really, I mean, thank you for your time and taking the time to talk to us because I know you're very busy. And uh, it does mean a lot to us. I think you will reach a lot of people hopefully with this. And uh, you may get more emails than you you might expect. So, you know, be prepared for that. That sounds good. That sounds good. Thank you for
1: listening to us today.
0: Please share this podcast with your friends and join us next time.